Well, welcome. Grab your seats. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 19, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book into the New Testament. Um, This is Palm Sunday weekend. So this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday that commemorates the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he had set his face like flint and he was getting ready to give his life for days and, and pretty soon hours away from that moment. And so Luke chapter 19, what I'll do is I'll read this text that is a traditional Palm Sunday text and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord tonight as we continue our series asking who is this Jesus And why do we worship him? It says this, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he's heading to give his life. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, because this is a strange act, this is weird, you're stealing someone's colt. Uh, If anyone asks you, which they're going to, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners, in fact, asked them, why are you stealing our colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks, their coats on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, dang. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, we need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. I am at the end of myself. I don't have strength to give that will make this thing right. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can do what you can do. We, we need you. We did not come here to church tonight to be entertained. We did not come here to church tonight because we were bored. We came here because we believe you're the God who speaks. And when you speak, you thunder and you... you you shake the heavens and the earth and you rattle us down to the core and you begin from that place to rebuild. And so we pray tonight, Jesus Christ, uh, destroy everything in us that is destroying us and rebuild in us the way of everlasting life. 
May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever asked, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> I mean, have you ever been in a gym where someone is like yelling, they're, they're lifting weights and they're screaming at the top of their lungs? <laughs> like, bro, like I've got my iPods in, iPods, AirPods, iPod. I got my iPod connected to my AirPods. Uh, anyway, and I can hear you. What do you like? And, and yoked up, you know, they got chicken legs, but their chest is big, you know, like walking around like this. And you're like, who does this guy think he is, bro? Like invisible lat syndrome, you know, he's not that big, but he thinks he is. So he's like, have you ever been in a, like a dinner party where someone is just sucking all of the oxygen out of the room? You're like, can other people talk? Thank you, Preem. Thank you, Preem. Preem has been there. She knows. But enough about Victor. It's fine. It's enough about Victor. Enough about Victor. He's getting better. He's getting better. I'm just kidding. But you know, just someone takes over and you, you get in the car and you drive home and you're like, why did we all just waste our night listening to that guy? You know, like, who does this guy think he is? During the ministry of Jesus, the big question that began to crescendo is like, actually like, who, who does he think he is? Because the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the lepers are healed and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Like this guy is something and he's like on the map and he, he, when he steps into a village, the whole village pivots and they, they quit their jobs and they run away and they wanna follow this guy around. Like who, but, but he's doing all these things, but like who is he? Who does he think he is? And in this text tonight, we get a glimpse. When Jesus' ministry was ramping up, even his family, they got offended at him. We, we see this story in Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered. He's minding his own business everywhere he goes. People are getting healed and they're interrupting his day and he, they're so busy he doesn't even have time to eat and his disciples aren't eating. So a crowd gathered and, so that he and his disciples were not able to eat and when his family, when his own flesh and blood doesn't say who's there, but maybe Mary. At least, you know, kind of second siblings after Jesus came, Joseph and Mary had some kids. And then, so he's got family, he's got cousins, he's got aunties and uncles, he's got people around him. His own family heard about this. They went to take charge of him. They wanted to take him away from his own meeting. For they said, he is out of his mind. Like he's embarrassing the family name. Like it's fine, all these nice little things you're doing, but you're starting to take up all, like you're starting to embarrass us, quit it. He's out of his mind. Jesus' own biological family, they, they, were, they were done. Jesus wasn't being loud. He wasn't marketing his brand. He wasn't gaudy and braggadocious. Jesus was just Jesusing. And when Jesus walks in, people get healed. When Jesus walks in, demons tremble and flee and go into the pigs and jump off the cliff. When Jesus comes on shore, the, the demoniac gets set right. When Jesus sees hungry people, he takes the little that's there and he feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children. Jesus was just Jesusing. So he wasn't trying to like work his plan. He just was out there being himself and his family, God offended him. Jesus had dropped hints and clues 
but he was incredibly subtle. There were times where he would do miracles and what would he say to the people? Hey, shh. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if you're trying to, like, market yourself, like, Jesus, it, Jesus should have, like, said, hey, go tell everyone every time. But many times, Jesus goes, shh, I need you to be quiet about it. I need you to hold your cards close for a minute. Just be patient. Maybe it's because Jesus knew that some of them were too immature to go be public about it. They needed to get their lives wholesome and healthy and strong for a minute. Maybe because many of them were grieving and Jesus wanted to give them space to recover. Maybe it's because Jesus wanted to protect their privacy. Maybe it was because Jesus was buying time. The Roman emperor and the the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they were tightening the screws on Jesus and he knew he needed to set some other things up. So there were times when Jesus was subtle and quiet about who he was, though he would do miracles. But even with his subtlety and even though he carried himself with a holy reticence, the the people started talking. They started tearing the roof off of places that Jesus was, literally. They bring a man paralyzed on a mat, and there was such a crowd in the house that they wanted their friend to get healed, but they couldn't get to Jesus, so they go on top of the roof, tear off the thatched roof, and lower the guy down, four ropes on four sides of the gurney, and the guy just dropped, like, they want to be around Jesus. People started talking, and the crowd started pressing in. And there was a holy subtlety, but in this text that we just read, Luke chapter 19, this is Jesus's hello world moment. Where three years of his ministry had been building to this point, there was this great crescendo, and Jesus steps on the scene days before he's crucified, comes to the edge of Jerusalem, the city that is the city of God, Jerusalem, the, the, house, of, the house of God's presence and Jesus starts telling them about who he is. He says, I am, I am God's son. I am here to do God's work. I'm here to save. I'm here to deliver. I'm here to deal a death blow to death itself. I'm here to drive out darkness once and for all. I have come to do business with the enemy. Jesus comes to make his triumphal entry. Now these people had heard about David's triumphal entry into Jerusalem when he was king and when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back from the nations when it was stolen and all the people gathered and they worshiped. They'd heard about Solomon's triumphal entry after he built the house of God, the temple, and they were so excited. And so they, they start having all of these Old Testament resonances in their soul. And they, of course, remembered Zechariah, the old prophet, his prophecy. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, seven, 800 years maybe before Jesus comes, five, six, 700 years, Zechariah prophesies about the time of Jesus' arrival. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. And shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Your king is coming and he's lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And here's this moment. Remember, Jesus tells them, go into town. You're gonna see a donkey tied up there. Untie the donkey, bring it out. If the owner asks you, what are you doing? Tell him the Lord needs it. Jesus is fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. See Jerusalem, rejoice because your savior is coming and he's riding on a donkey. He's riding on a colt. He's coming in. It's interesting to me what Jesus is doing here because these people would have known that when a king went out to war, he went out on a horse a war horse. 
But when a king had won the war and was coming back into town, he would ride in on a donkey. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey saying, yeah, I've won the war. (laughs) I'm going to Golgotha. It's gonna get worse before it gets better, but you trust me, I've won this thing. I've taken care of it. Darkness will be defeated and death will be driven out and sin will be conquered once and for all and tribalism will be crushed. I in my own body will be crushed so that the world could be made whole. Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey saying, I've got this taken care of. This moment comes and it's his hello world moment, it's game time. And what happens when Jesus comes into town? I'll, I'll suggest to you that it's a challenge to the powers that be. When Jesus comes into town, he challenges the powers that be, the old structures, the, the, the rulers of darkness. And he, 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 he challenges Rome's authority and he challenges the religious rulers, their, their, their stranglehold on the people that's suffocating them to death. Jesus comes to challenge the powers that be. It upsets the previous arrangement. When Jesus comes to town, it turns over the tables of life as we knew it. Because right after Jesus comes in, what does he do? He goes into the temple and he turns over the tables, which is his prophetic act of saying, it it will not stay the same way. God has come and God has come to disrupt death and God has come to restore our lives. He turns over the tables and then right sizes the people in their worship. When Jesus comes into town, everything gets turned over. The old way of being isn't gonna work anymore, says Jesus. This is a divine disruption that we see right here in this text. Many of you remember the day or the season that Jesus rode into the middle of your life. (laughs) One of the great privileges of being a pastor is I get to sit with you and hear about the days or the seasons when Jesus has ridden into the middle of your life and he's come to save and he's come to heal and he's come to restore. Many of you remember that you were one way and then Jesus rode into town and you got turned over and then he set you upright and then you were another way. Many of you remember that you used to love certain things and then you, when Jesus moved in, you began to disdain those things. Many of you Uh, before Jesus rode into the middle of your story, you used to hide things, you had secrets. And then when Jesus came in and the tables got overturned, the divine disruption happened, you started living open. You started telling the truth. You started confessing your sins one to another. And in that moment, you discovered that there was actually a purgative effect. There was a healing. There was something that was washing through your being and making you whole. You thought that protecting yourself and and hiding that story was gonna be the way to life. But actually, when Jesus came and opened you up, you found life. Many of you remember that you had certain soulish appetites. And then when Jesus came, those appetites began to change. I was at Manitou Springs, our congregation, a few weeks ago preaching right in the heart of Manitou. And there's 100 people there. And five years ago when we planted New Life Manitou, there were four churches in Manitou, four churches, a town of 6,000 people. And on Sundays, between those four services, they'd have about 50 people go to church. Every Sunday in Manitou Springs, we have 100 to 125 people gathering in our congregation. And, and, and I was there, and this guy came up to me, never met him before. He gives me the biggest bro hug. He's like an like amateur chiropractor, cracked my back, you know, in six places. 
And I was like, hey, yeah. I mean, we're best friends in like 12 seconds. And this guy comes up to me and, I, and we're just, I mean, it was an explosion of energy. And I was thinking like, this guy is so happy about life. Like, where does that come from? And I said, tell me your story, man. He said, I've been sober for six months and 11 days. Isn't Jesus good? He's crying as he's telling me this story. Not six months and 10 days, not six months and 12 days, six months and 11 days, God has preserved him and he's living a beautiful life and he's working to become an assistant sous chef and he's working down at the, what's the, uh, what's the mountain resort? Not Broadmoor, but Cheyenne Mountain Resort. Thank you, Preem. Preem is on fire tonight. He's working down at Cheyenne Mountain Resort, uh, heading toward assistant sous chef. The guy is crushing it, and he's so thankful to Jesus because he knows what six months and 12 days ago looked like. He said, I couldn't go another day living that way, and somehow, someway, Jesus got me, and he changed me, and he's beaming with life. In the same service, this guy came up to me afterwards, never met him before. We hugged it out, and I said, tell me your story. He said, well, I was in prison a few years ago. I was a meth addict. I couldn't go a half of a day without getting high on meth, and he said, my life was destroyed, and my face was destroyed, my teeth were destroyed, and I, could, I, and I was selling things and stealing things and f- trying to find a way to get the next hit, and he said, and they threw me in prison and I deserve to be in prison. And somehow in prison, this guy named Jesus Christ came and he got my attention. And this man has been clean for years. He's gainfully employed. He's a landscaper. He's helping hire people. He's dating this wonderful woman of God. She drives down from Boulder every week to worship with him at New Life Manitou Springs. And he said, this man, Jesus, I'm telling you, when Jesus drives into town or, or rides in on that donkey, it, it feels disruptive at times, but you look up soon enough in your life life has gotten set right. Some of you remember when Jesus rode into the middle of your story. And I'll say to you tonight, some of you are in a season where Jesus is riding in. And you aren't yet set right and it feels destabilizing. You're afraid and you wonder if your life is always going to feel tipped over. If this disequilibrium that you're experiencing that somehow, some way is a gift from God, if it's actually going to get set right and you'll be able to walk a straight line one day. Jesus is riding in right now, and to you, I would just say, submit to it. Welcome him. Welcome him. I got a call this morning from a guy that I met this last year. I was speaking at a, a small little gathering of guys, and this, there was this like, unbelievably handsome guy there. Like, I'm a guy, I love my wife, but this guy was beautiful. <laughs> he was beautiful. It's like, dang, if I were a girl. <laughs> um, so this guy was there and I was like, there's just something like he, he had this presence about him and he came up to me after I spoke and he started telling me his story and he played in the NFL for five years and I knew I recognized him. And, and he was this guy who, because he was so successful and so athletic and so beautiful, he, he, and the enemy had hooked into his soul and fed those soulish appetites and he was running around destroying his life and destroying everyone who came in his way. And he came up to me at this talk that I gave and he said, in the last year, this man Jesus has gotten a hold of me and, it, and he's disrupted me. My whole life felt like it got knocked over. 
but he's picked it back up and the pieces are starting to find their place. This guy called me this morning and I said, what are you doing, bro? And he said, I'm going up to a middle school and I'm gonna go speak to the kids and I'm gonna encourage them. And I'm, gonna, and I'm like, this guy who could be doing anything, he's loaded, deep pockets. He, he said, Jesus got a hold of my life and I never would have been in a middle school a year ago. But Jesus, he got rid of those things that were killing me and he helped me fall in love with the things that actually lead to the way of everlasting life. I don't know what it is about this Jesus, but he has changed my life. Friends, if Jesus is riding into the middle of your story, please welcome him. Please welcome him. So I wanna ask this question, what do you do when Jesus rides into the middle of your life? I wanna say two things tonight, as simple as I can be. And trust that the spirit will make it alive among us. The first thing, what do you do when Jesus rides into your life? You give yourself over to him and then you just keep giving yourself over to him until you die. When Jesus comes, it's always a confrontation. The king of eternity, the king of reality, the one who was and is and is to come. The one who has said there is a way that leads to life and he designed it. The one who created the grain of the universe. That if you work with it, it will be blessing and life and abundance and joy. And I'm not saying you'll, you'll be deep pocketed all of your life. I'm not saying there won't be difficulty. Of course there will be difficulty. Jesus climbs a cross. There will be difficulty. But if you stay with him, you may be poor, but you'll be joyful. <laughs> Like, you, you may have difficulty, but you'll be able to follow him carrying your own little cross up, your own little Golgotha. If, you, if you'll stay with Jesus, if you'll work with the grain of the universe that he created, your life will abound. But if you cut against that grain, that grain will slice you. Yes. It will destroy you. You give yourself over to Jesus, and then you just keep giving yourself over to him until you die Jesus will threaten our old allegiances. Jesus will call into question our old habits and our old patterns and our old ways of being. He's not doing it to be difficult. He's doing it because the life that you're living currently is difficult. And he wants to heal you. But when he comes, there's that confrontation and our flesh rises up. And we see it here in this story in Luke 19. At the beginning of the story, it says, these people saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem and they said, we don't want this man to be our king. This is the human, this is the soulish, fleshly resistance against a savior and against the king who comes to threaten our old allegiances. Leave me alone. <laughs> My friend, the NFL player who used to live the old life, he said when Jesus initially came in, it, it, it wasn't easy to think about walking away from his habits and patterns and his ways of being that had felt really good to him for a really long time. That's understandable. We have muscle memory in the way of death. <laughs> we have to unlearn some things. There's a confrontation and, and, and very often our flesh says, we don't want this man to be king over us. Leave me alone. My life is fine. It's actually not fine. So we can just die to that and say yes to Jesus. And I'll say to you tonight that the greatest question that you'll ever have to answer is, what are you going to do with Jesus? When he rides into the middle of your life, the greatest question you'll ever have to answer is, what do you do when he shows up? Will you reject him and drive him out? Will you say, we don't want this man to be our king? Or will you humble yourself and submit yourself? And plenty of people say, no, we don't want this man to be king. 
But those who say yes to Jesus, I don't know that I've ever met someone who's said yes to Jesus that has ever regretted it. I'm, again, I'm not saying there aren't seasons where carrying the cross feels like death and it actually really destroys you. To follow Jesus is not easy, but it is true. I've never met someone who's followed Jesus who, who ever regrets it. Jesus is batting a thousand with people who will submit their lives to him. I was reading this week and I was, in this story, Jesus cries. That gives me a lot of comfort because I'm a crier. Yeah, bro, I see you. I see you back there. Jesus cries. And I started thinking like, okay, wait, there's three times that I know in the scriptures where Jesus cries. I thought, what makes Jesus cry? So I wanna put this in front of you tonight. There are indeed three times that Jesus weeps. The first time, it's the loss of his friend Lazarus. Jesus actually feels. Jesus is actually human. Jesus actually cares about his friends. And when his friend Lazarus dies and he sees Mary and Martha weeping, he weeps. Jesus is heartbroken over the loss of his friend. The second time that Jesus cries is over the sting of suffering. Like it wasn't easy to go into the garden of Gethsemane and he indeed was on his knees saying, Father, if it be your will, please let this cup pass through. I don't want to die like this. I don't want to climb that hill. My God, my God, please. Jesus is weeping because of the suffering and because of the betrayal and because of his friends walking away from him. Jesus is like us. We are like Jesus. He is God made man. Jesus weeps over the sting of suffering, but the third time that he weeps is in this text right here, and it's over the pain of human rejection. When we say no to Jesus, he feels that. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it, and he said, if you even, if you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in. And all this, you see it. And they will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is saying, I came to help you, but you won't let me help you. And I can save you, but you won't let me save you. And I came to give you peace, but you have this lust for chaos. And I'm the life, but you keep choosing death. And so Jesus, when we keep turning him away, when he comes with his holy intention to save us and to heal us and deliver us, and we stiff arm him and we rebuke him and we cast him out and we tell him we're doing fine being our own gods, Jesus weeps because because he knows it leads to our death. It breaks his heart. So I'll say to you tonight, it doesn't mean, like give yourself to Jesus and keep giving yourself over to Jesus until you die. That doesn't mean we'll be perfect, quite the opposite. We'll fail and we'll be foolish at times, we'll falter in our faith. So what do we do in that moment? We just repent. Proverbs 24, 16, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. <laughs> I fail all the time. 
And I fall on my knees and I say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'll speak wrong words. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'll think wrong thoughts. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And I'll harbor bitterness against someone who's hurt me. And, and I'll say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Though the righteous fall seven times, yet they will arise. Friends, we won't be perfect. Just get back up and run to Jesus. Just say yes to Jesus, repent. Jesus will never turn you away if you are humble. What do you do when Jesus rides into the middle of your story? You give yourself over to him and you keep giving yourself over to him until you die. The second thing that I wanna say tonight is you learn how to worship and then you keep worshiping for the rest of your life. Tell your disciples to shut up. That's what they told Jesus. They're obnoxious, they're loud, they're always worshiping, they're always singing songs. Hosanna, bless us, he was coming. Shut up, they're blaspheming. They, they're, their worship is pointed in the wrong direction. They're wasting their lives on all the wrong. You aren't the true story, Jesus. Why would they sing to you? And Jesus says, if they don't, the rocks are gonna cry out. Like, The layers of a worshiping life that I wanna put in front of you tonight for your consideration. First, our songs. We sing, we sing, we sing, we sing. This is why we recorded Over It All, this album that is changing my life. My kids on the way to school this morning said, Dad, will you please put on Over It All and would you put on Gloria Patri because Abby sings that song and we love Abby and, and so we're worshiping. Glory to the Father, glory to the Son, glory to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning as it is right now and will be forever, world without end. Amen. And I look in my rearview mirror my kids are back there. Glory to the Father. Like, like this is what we do. Second layer of our worshiping life is our souls. Like the seat of our will and our desires and our hopes and our fears and our aches and the ones that are articulate and the ones that are inarticulate, that deep groaning space from which we live and move and have our being and we long for true life. And sometimes we misdirect our, our worship and, and we find out that it's death, like my friend who played in the NFL. But now Jesus has gotten his attention and from his soul, he's given things up and he's, he's said yes to other things and he's starting to live this purified, beautiful life from the depths of his being. He wants Jesus. Our songs and our souls. and The third layer is our stuff. Tell them the Lord needs it. Jesus, please don't ask me to do that. Like, I'd, I'd love to sing. I, blessed is he who comes, woo! Public worship, the gathering of the people, there's all the energy and all the mojo and all the vibe of the people, that's easy. Blessed is he who comes in the name. And Jesus goes like, let's talk about possessions. Let's talk about our stuff for a minute. Tell them the Lord needs it. I hesitate to even talk about this because of the fear that you might think I'm trying to talk about me. One of the greatest ways the Lord has made me his is by asking me to give my stuff away. 
I remember being eighteen years old and playing drums and touring and I was making some money. I got a full ride scholarship to college and so I didn't have any bills, praise God. And I was making money. I was not just like losing money for school. I was debt free on school. I was making money. It's like, yes. Getting started, baby. Building something. And I went on a two-month tour one summer. My parents, 18 years old, they took me to this church parking lot. I got on a bus and I went for two months. I can't imagine letting my 18, mom, bless you. I'm sorry that I thought that was easy for you. I got on the bus and we went all over the United States every night, playing, knocking it down, having fun, CD sales, woo, shirts. We had merch, man, we were killing. It was so much fun. And I came back after two months and I had my first stack of cash. And I got back and I was really excited and options. And then I heard about a friend. Please, would you trust me that I'm not, I, I'm not telling you this for me, okay? I'm telling you this because Jesus has made me a disciple by asking me to give my stuff away. So I got back from this trip feeling really good about myself. And then my friend who was in his 40s, family, three kids, like he, he was the grown man. I was the 18-year-old. And their life was falling apart. And the Lord said to me, I have need of it. That was the best yes I had said in 18 years. And then Lisa and I got married and we came out here and we, I didn't really have anything. <laughs> and Lisa was my sugar mama. She had a car, I didn't have a car. <laughs> she had been working for two years. I was a college graduate, just graduated. We got married and moved out here 12 days later. I hadn't ever worked besides drumming and I kept giving it away. And anyway, just kidding. Um, we got out here and we had two jobs. She's teaching at TCA. I'm, te I'm working here at New Life Church. And we finally, in the first six months of marriage, got a little money together. And then we came to church on a Sunday and the pastor stood up and said, hey, we need to repave our parking lot. Pastor Lance, you remember that effort. Beautiful time. And they said, you know what? This is gonna cost a lot of money and it's not a real like sexy give. We need to repay our parving, parking lot. But something in Lisa and I said like, church has gotta have parking lots. If we're gonna have a church in here in 50 years, we gotta have a parking lot. Like it's a necessary evil. Like you gotta fix the toilet at your home when it breaks. Like you don't have that option. <laughs> fix the toilet, repave the parking lot. And Lisa and I gave the biggest gift we'd ever given in our lives and it felt scary as heck. And every time I drive in the parking lot, I thought, you know what? 16 years ago, a bunch of people said, let's have a church that can welcome people. And 16 years later, we parked in a parking lot and the Lord had need of it. And, 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 and I was tempted to go, no, this is our stuff and we worked hard and don't you know we could go to, you know, we could go to Cancun and we could do all. And the Lord just said, hey, there are seasons when the Lord will say to you, I need what you have, please. This legacy offering thing. Some, I just hear the Lord saying again, the Lord has 
need of it. Friends, I'm telling you, we give him our songs, glory to the Father, glory to the Son. We worship, we gather outside the the gates of Jerusalem. We say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we say, would you purify my soul, Lord, because I can worship in public, but be a mess in private. I can go, oh yes, praise God. And then just go tuck myself away and destroy my life and destroy the people around me because my soul hasn't been purged and purified to the level of the spirit of God. And so we say glory to the Father. We sing our songs and we invite the spirit in to transform us in our souls. But I promise you along the way, if you follow Jesus for any length of time, Jesus every once in a while will say the Lord hath need of it. And he'll ask us to sacrifice our stuff. And it's not because God is difficult and God is trying to make us miserable. It's because he has work he needs to do. And it's because giving actually is a part of us getting healed. Because I love my stuff. And Jesus says, I'm going to invite you into thinking that you don't own anything. You're a steward of what I've entrusted to you. So friends, spend the rest of your life welcoming Jesus and saying yes to Jesus, and when you fall, get back up and repent in the presence of Jesus and spend the rest of your life worshiping Jesus with your songs and sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth and clap your hands all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph, gather outside the city gates of Jerusalem with the saints and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and worship him to the level of your soul and worship him with your stuff and friends, if you will do this, Jesus will know that he can continually ride into the middle of our lives and make us the kind of people that the world is looking for. Friends, I invite you tonight to be a worshiper of Jesus. Jesus rides into our lives and he comes to bring life and salvation and healing. And when we reject him, Jesus weeps. But when we say yes to him, Jesus smiles and Jesus heals us and Jesus stands us up and he sends us out to the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus. Friends, worship Jesus. When you fall, get back up and repent. Let Jesus right-size your life tonight. Friends, say yes to Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand with me here tonight, please. The band is gonna come and we're gonna, we're gonna practice this. We're gonna worship. We're gonna lift our hands. We're gonna cry out to him. But Jesus tonight, before we do that, he wants to do what only he can do, which is feed us and forgive us. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, if you take your communion elements, if you don't have them, raise your hand. The communion team's gonna run around to you quickly. Got some over here. Got a couple more here in the middle sections. Thank you, Chris. Jesus is going to do what only he can do tonight. If you'd open up your communion elements and be ready to receive. Think about this. Jesus went first. 
speaking of the Lord hath need of it. Father looks to his son and says, the Lord hath need of it and sends his son to give his life. Jesus lays down his life, his broken body, his shed blood. He holds nothing back. All of his chips are on the table. Jesus goes first and gives it all. And in doing so, as we receive this tonight, somehow by the spirit of God, we get transformed. So that when Jesus says, the Lord hath need of it, we can go, okay. You got me ready for this moment, Jesus. So Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, took the bread and broke it. And you can break that little wafer right there in your hands. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. I'm giving me to you. And every time you do this, remember. So when Jesus says to you and to me, all right, give you to them, We've been practicing, we've been receiving, we've been being nurtured by the one who will make him like, make us like himself. So Jesus, we need you to heal us to the deepest places tonight. We need you to make us holy. We need you to make us generous. We need you to make us pure. We need you to make us those people willing to be broken for the world. And so only you can do that tonight. Friends, you may receive the broken body, the bread from Jesus. On the same night, he took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. Friends, every evil thing we have done like, like all of it. Every single time when we did something and we hid it, we buried it. Every single time where we ran away, every single time where we threw God's grace back in his face and said, no thanks. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. I'm not holding out the bad ones and making you remember those. I'll forgive the low grade stuff. Jesus said, it's all washed Away. It's given, I give my broken body and my shed blood so that you can be clean to the deepest places. Friends, you are clean tonight because of the work of Jesus. Though the righteous fall seven times, they get back up. <laughs> Jesus is here to stand us back up tonight. You may receive the, the cup, the forgiveness of sins. And now let's worship the Lord together. Jesus. We desire to remain in you and your words remain in us. They wash us clean, make us pure. You're the vine, we're the branches. So we worship you. Let's sing. For my waking breath, for my daily bread, I depend. I depend on you I depend on you For the sun to rise For my sleep at night I depend on you 
Yeah. 
Okay, so we're going to sing All the earth will shout your praise Our hearts will cry These bones will sing Great are you, Lord But what I want to do is I want to drop out everything But just the acoustic guitar I want us to start quiet Because some of you are learning To sing your way into the life of faith Like you're, you're, you're new Gathering outside of Jerusalem Going, Hosanna Blessed is he who comes in, Like you're new to this So I want us to start and then we'll build, okay? So all the earth will shout joy, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Come on, church. Great are you. You're going to be doing this the rest of your lives, the rest of eternity, all the earth. All the earth will shout Get used to it. Fall in love with it. This is the only way forward. Great. All right, band, help us out a little bit. You'll probably have to lead us on this one. Let's sing.
Just the piano sing hallelujah. Can you bring the lights down? Hallelujah. Bring these stage lights down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing Jesus is Lord, same melody. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. time just the voices hallelujah here we go church. receive you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we fall, pick us up. When we fall, help us to trust that you forgive us. 
when we fall, help us to get over our pride. We want to worship you with all of our hearts and souls, our minds, our strengths, our songs, our souls, our stuff. They're yours. Lord, tonight for my friends, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. You would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, that you would lift your bright, smiling countenance upon them and grant them peace. And I pray that you would cause everything they touch to flourish. I pray for abundance and joy for my friends. Pray for blessing and peace for my friends. I pray for provision for my friends. I pray for creativity. I pray that their businesses would flourish and abound, that they could hire more people. Lord, I pray for relationships to be restored. I pray for bodies to be healed. I pray for friends to be found. Lord, I pray for children to follow Jesus all of their days in this congregation. I pray for the elderly to be dignified and to be honored and to be respected in this place. Lord, we pray that you'd bless us and make us your people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Friends, our friend Don Pape had a birthday this week. Don is a man of God. Would you give it up for Don Pape? A saint. One of my favorites. We love you, Don. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. If any of you have any prayer needs, we would love to pray with you and and strengthen you and encourage you in faith. Next week is Good Friday. We'll be in the other room. Come join us. And then baptisms in two weeks. Go from here in God's grace and his peace. So much love.